Welcome to Not Quite Right. My name's Ed. And I'm Amanda. So we've just spent the last four weeks reading all the entries for the Not Quite Right prize. What a delight. So we got just under 700 entries, which is about 420,000 words, 600 words per entry. That's a lot of words. It is a lot of words. So just for comparison, Gone with the Wind is 418,000 words. Right. Uh, And Don Quixote is... 430,000. So yeah, a lot of words and a lot of stories and a lot of good stories. We actually got submissions from 51 countries that we know of because reporting your country is optional. And Australia and the USA were most represented, about half the entries, followed Mm -hmm. by the UK as a third. And yeah, some interesting stats. What do you think was the most represented age bracket? Oh, I'm going to say 30 to 45. It was actually 18 to 30, mm. with 35%. Young ones. and But the rest were actually quite even. 20% of people were under 18. Mm-hmm. So I think that next time we run this, we'll definitely consider having a separate prize or a call out for young contestants. Mm-hmm. And take a guess, what do you think the gender breakdown was? I feel like it's going to be more women. Mm-hmm. I've, got, I've got a vibe. And I'm going to go like quite high. I'm going to go like 70% women. Yeah, about 70%. But yeah, great response. I think it's much more than we were hoping for in our wildest dreams when we started. And it's been a really good experience. I've really enjoyed reading the stories. And I think we both agree that we'll definitely do this again. Absolutely. Yeah. I just want to say a huge thank you to everyone who set aside time on that particular weekend to sit down, engage with the prompts that we shared with you put your heart and soul in some cases or maybe just panic for some people (laughs) into these stories. It's just a joy. It's a joy to feel like we're part of creating something new. And no matter how you did, if you phoned it in at the last minute, if you really invested yourself, you should be proud because I really think it's important. And now more so than ever in a world where we're kind of, I don't know, so disengaged from each other and just in our own little worlds that we're putting our art we're creating something human. And I don't know if that's a bit wanky to say, but that's how I feel. And I'm just really appreciative of everybody who engaged with it and just went for it. Yeah, absolutely. And while I was reading them, I kept having these moments of just being blown away that every one of those was written by someone who took the time and the effort to actually sit down and come up with all those great ideas. And um, Absolutely. In some cases, and we'll get into some of the things that emerged during the competition, but in some cases, I was just absolutely blown away by how creatively people had engaged with what we had presented with ideas that I never would have thought Mm. of. So for today's episode, we will be talking exclusively about the prize and we will be revealing the long list at the end of this episode. Exciting. And we also wanted to spend some time talking about the prompts and a lot of the entries and what we liked. And next episode, we will get into the short list. Yeah, we also got some questions online from participants just wanting to know a little bit of behind the scenes information about how the judging worked and various really specific questions about how things went down. So yeah, stay tuned for the announcement of the long list at the end. We will be shouting out specific stories throughout this episode. That doesn't necessarily mean that you made the long list. Uh, So if you hear your name called, you know, we're just shouting out appreciation of specific things. Stay tuned to the end to find out if you actually made the long list. We've actually decided the short list uh, and we've decided the winner, which we'll be Mm. revealing on the next episode. I just want to make it clear that the judging was all done blind, uh, but we have now since 
made our final decision. Mm -hmm. So we've gone back through and we can now reveal some That's right. And we just only found out about half an hour ago who those people were. Mm. You know, we've been reading these. And in my case, I've had a few friends and family tell me that they were entering the competition. And so it was fun for me to try and guess who wrote what. And I have to say, I was wrong in almost every Mm -hmm. case. (laughs) Okay, so you've gone through the stats of like who entered and how they entered. Something else that I thought was interesting is the timing of the submissions. Because I've always wondered when I've entered competitions, like, is everyone entering at the last Mm. minute? You know. So out of the 678 stories, six stories were entered in literally the last minute. Mm. (laughs) Um, And we had 86 stories submitted in the last hour. I'm actually surprised it wasn't higher. I would have expected a full 50% in the last hour. I would say that probably the reason for that is a lot of people went to bed. So it depends what country you're in as to what hour you're submitting. There was also a handful in the few minutes it took us to close the form online. So there was a few that actually made it past midnight, which we allowed because we take a fairly relaxed approach. But I would say to anybody who's concerned, they actually didn't make the long list anyway. So it's not really an issue for debate. And there was also one that was submitted late with our permission uh, due to a special request relating to a disability. The earliest story, the very first story that was submitted was submitted within... I think it was 12 minutes or something, wasn't it? It was within 20 minutes. Yeah. So like 19 minutes and something seconds. Perhaps unsurprisingly, they did not make the long list. But points for speed, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> but of course, I must say, without knowing, it makes you sus. Like, did you really write does. this story in 20 minutes? I don't, I don't know. I'm not buying it. But regardless, it wasn't up to the level that it needed to be. I would like to give a shout out to the one person who made the long list submitting within the first two hours of the competition opening. Mm-hmm. Again, maybe that's a bit sus, but reading it, I very much felt like it was written for the competition in the spirit of the competition. I hope it was because it needed to be for it to be legitimately considered. Now we come to my favourite statistics. Uh, You may want to skip ahead if if you've got kids in the car or... (laughs) (laughs) Um, We come to the colourful language statistics. So I wanted to thank everyone for heartily accepting the challenge to offend us because I'm truly humbled by the level of response that we received to this challenge. Basically, we have said in a previous episode, look, if you want to swear, it's fine. Now, Ed, what do you think was the most commonly used or the most popular swear word? Oh, it would have to be fuck, right? Oh, that's a close second. Okay. Well, shit would have been quite high. Oh, it's shit. It's shit. So with 82 usages, Mm -hmm. and that may have been repeated in some stories, so some stories may have repeated the word a couple of times, um, but 82 instances of the word shit. Mm -hmm. And I like to think that has something to do with all the variations of shit that you can have. You know what I mean? Like, And we've talked about the shit list before, and maybe we'll get into that some other time, but just the amount of ways in the English. It's a versatile word. It's a very versatile Mm -hmm. word. Now, as I said, fuck was a close second. So that came in at 80 usages, which included three motherfucks or motherfuckers. And I'd like to also give an honourable mention to the person who wrote effed. Yeah, like, that's cute. That's almost there. That's, yeah. you know, you tried. <laughs> <laughs> uh, next in, at just 15 usages was either ass or asshole mm-hmm. in various spellings all put together. We had bitch at 14. We had 13 dicks. But only one vagina, which I felt was a bit out of whack there. Mm-hmm. 
Although there was some additional talk of quote unquote holes, but we won't go there. <laughs> That's right. We won't go I do there. remember that story. <laughs> <laughs> um, seven instances of the word piss, two bastards, two pricks, and unfortunately, zero C bombs. But mm. anyway, that's there's just a little. Next time. There's always next time, guys. <laughs> but well done. Congratulations. The most colourful of language. So we had some questions on social media. We reached out to our followers to see if they wanted to know anything specific about the judging process and what goes on behind the scenes because we want to demystify it a little bit, you know, be open about how this all went down. So Erin on Instagram said, how on earth do you organise the entries as you go through them? Do you print them? Do you go through them as a pair independently? By the way, my thoughts are with your sanity through this process. Love your work. <laughs> Thanks, Erin. Um, how did we organise? Do you want to share with us the process, basically the judging yeah. process from start to finish? Yeah, and I think we didn't know really what we were going to be in for until we saw how many people submitted. Um, if there were fewer entries, I think we would have probably each read all of the entries. Mm-hmm. But given the number we had and the time that we had allowed, we, we wanted to make sure that we would have enough time to read each one and give each entry the the time and attention it deserves. Mm. And we knew we weren't going to each be able to read every single entry. So basically the first step of the process was we randomized the order that they arrived in so that there was no kind of bias or preference towards who came first. Mm-hmm. And um, de-identified them as yeah, well. Yeah, and basically removed all of the names and the email addresses. And we then broke all of the entries up into 20 batches and we, we had 10 batches each. We basically split them 50-50. And there was about roughly 30 per... 35 batch, per, right? per batch, yeah, roughly, right. the fewer in the last batch. The purpose of the first round of reading was really just to... To cull. The, <laughs> the entries that didn't make the cut. Uh, the entries, I, I the, guess, that we were confident we would yeah. both agree wouldn't make the long list. That's right. Yeah. So the rough figures that we had were from a batch of 35, we would get it down to around 7 to 10, I Mm. think, on average. So sometimes that would be 4, sometimes it would be 12. It just depends on what Mm -hmm. was in that batch. Yeah, we weren't fixed on that. I think after we started reading and got the gist of where things were at, I think we got a better feel for what would and would not make that cut. I think when we first started out, we are probably being more generous Mm. because we didn't know what else was yet to come. But as we went on, we got, I think, a bit more decisive about what would and wouldn't make it. Yeah. And during that process, we also each identified ones that we thought were particularly good, that we thought were standouts, likely long list or short list material Mm -hmm. uh, and our favourites. And we did keep that private. You know, we didn't share that with each other because we didn't want to influence each other's decision. So once we did that first pass, we were left with, I think, somewhere around 180 entries, which is still quite a large number. It's Mm. almost basically a third of Mm. what we started with or a little bit under. And so that's when we each read each other's list. Yep. So that that entire culled list, I suppose, got both of us to read them in full, every word. Yeah. Uh, And then from that list, we selected a smaller number that we were going to long list and we targeted and we pretty much hit the target, right, of about 60 for the long list plus six for the short list in the end. So we're talking in the ballpark of I think we're aiming somewhere between like 50 and and 80 kind of entries. Yeah. And again, I think that sort of happened organically. Mm. I think we probably had our own sense of what felt right, but we didn't have a specific number in our minds. The number of 
what made it, I think, emerge from the process yep. of what we felt comfortable as being distinct enough to call a long list. Yeah, like, that's right. Um, that we both agreed on. Uh, I guess I think one of the things that surprised me is that we're pretty much on the same page with most of the entries, right? And even the ones that we were sort of yeah. nudging towards agreeing on, there were a few where one of us had a strong for opinion and the other one had mm. a strong against opinion. So we worked through that process and arrived at a long list and then from there basically reread all of the long list entries again. Yeah. Um, and yeah, some of these stories we read read half a dozen times or, or more. Yeah, if we were feeling like they were borderline, mm. um, sometimes we would have to read them in relationship with another story to compare directly. And again, that was a pretty organic process. It wasn't something that was really rigid. One thing worth mentioning is that at the long list stage, we weren't super concerned with ticking off the prompts. Yeah. Um, we were certainly looking for the right prompt, the RIT, use of RITE, because that's an easy one to check. Mm. But we weren't really delving into how the prompts were handled. At that point, we were looking at the story. And one thing that I found really surprising was that there are many, many, many ways to skin a cat yeah. in a flash fiction competition. So I guess... I have my own personal biases of, around what makes a good piece of flash fiction and the kinds of flash fiction that I like to read. However, in the process of judging the competition, it really wasn't, at that stage, really wasn't about my personal preferences, I don't think. It was very much clear when stories were shining through, either because they were just written very well or they had a really strong or clever idea that mm. was executed well, or just that the story itself was a good story and an engaging story. And just the amount of different ways that people came at that to arrive on the long list, I think shocked me because I, I guess I sort of had pictured more similarities between yeah. what made the long list, but we had all sorts of stuff. We had romance, we had crime, we had poetry we had sci-fi and, and sci fantasy yeah there was there was a lot of variation yeah in terms of genre we we crossed all the genres i mm. think you know the range of comedy to tragedy kind yeah. of thing like just everything was covered and the strengths that were shown were very different so some stories really shone because they had an amazing voice for example some the dialogue was great others just a particular turn of phrase for others the writing maybe wasn't the greatest, but the story was really great and managed to grip us regardless. And so I have to say, being a competition entrant myself, a big part of what was interesting for me reading these was, okay, well, what, what am I going to do next time in the, like the comps? What have I learned for myself? And it's liberating to think I can write actually whatever the hell I want. Mm. And if I just do a really good job of it, it's probably going to resonate well. Anyway, back to the process. Back <laughs> to the process. Yeah, look, I think we covered it. And the final step was just going through the long list. And arguing. And, this and is where the arguments into a, into a short list. And, it, <laughs> and I guess it gets more contentious the, the shorter that list goes. Yeah. I think we were in agreement on the sort of the top three. Yeah, I think so. Um, and so it, it was narrowed down to those. And honestly, all three of those I yeah. would be comfortable as winner. But ultimately we had to, to make a call. And so, yeah, we discussed it. We went through range of different criteria, our pros and cons, 
absolutely subjective, I do have mm. to say, but, you know, also with objective elements in mind. We'll get into that in the next episode, I think, when we release the shortlist and the winner. Yeah. But I guess suffice it to say that we just went through each one individually, discussed it in detail to reach our final conclusion. But I, I guess I want to just say at this point, just big disclaimer over everything. It really is subjective, yeah. right? It's so subjective. And I just, the reason I want to stress that is because I think as writers, we invest so much of ourselves into our writing. And so when we get feedback back that we didn't make a long list or what have you, it's so personal. Mm. It's like, you didn't like me. And the truth is like, it. oh God, the dumb reasons why some of these mm. stories do and don't make lists it would infuriate you i'm sure um and but also maybe encourage you to know like it it can just be luck it's the luck of the draw and that can be incredibly frustrating to hear and i guess it's not it's not trying to say oh look none of it matters it does matter like mm. we we chose them for a reason yeah but i guess my point just being like don't let it get you down if you don't make the long list because Honestly, whatever you felt had value in your story, we probably agree with you. Yeah. I guess my point is I just want everybody to continue to love writing and not give a shit what we think. If you're not on the list, feel free to just curse our names. Mm -hmm. <laughs> It'll probably be valid. Katie from England said, I'm interested to know whether submitting a story significantly under the max word count affects how it does in a competition. I'd be interested to hear your opinion, but I would say yes and no, mm. because I think for fairness, like I'm I'm not the kind of person who would say that you need to be really close to the 600 words. No. If your story is, is 550 words, say, like that's fine. But I think in the spirit of the competition, which is asking for something in that ballpark, like there are a few that were 150 words, for example, and they may have been fine for a 150-word story, but that just wasn't really what we were looking for. Mm. So I've got some numbers here yeah. just to give a bit of weight to this and hopefully answer Katie's question. So a shout-out to uh, Vihanga Atigala, who submitted the shortest story of mm -hmm. the competition at just 16 words. So this story was called A Family Man, and it was very interesting, very esoteric story. However, there was no chance, and I'm sorry to say, spoiler alert, you didn't make the long list. There's just no way that at 16 words mm -hmm. you can get, be competing in a flash fiction competition with a story up to 600 yeah. words. There were actually five stories submitted that were under 100 words. And again, spoiler alert, but it may come as no surprise that those ones didn't make it either. Uh, that wasn't because of any inherent bias against shortness. It was purely that they didn't deliver. And yeah. I can't comment whether another 100-word story might have delivered. I, I feel like it could have, potentially. Um, but these ones didn't in the way they needed to to make the long list. Interestingly, our shortest story at 16 words was actually shorter than our longest title. <laughs> <laughs> so our longest title, I think it was 22 words. And shout out to Darrell Spenceley with... The following evidence was retrieved from comments uploaded to a social media account by the accused on the 16th of July, 2023. <laughs> <laughs> very so, pithy title. Very, very pithy, very <laughs> succinct. And uh, without revealing the long list at this stage, but the lowest word count that made the long list, so if we're talking about whether it was hindering to be significantly under the maximum word count, well, the lowest word count that made it to the long list was 346 words. So that's pretty significantly yeah, under the word is. count. So, congratulations to that author. 
who will be revealed in due course. But yeah, I hope that answers your question. I guess from my perspective, like like you, I'd be equivocal about it. Look, mm. I don't have an inherent bias that says, how dare you only write 100 words? That's not it at all. Uh, but certainly it is very hard to compete yeah. in, in story competition where you can deliver more. It's not to say it can't be done. And if you're a master, then you absolutely can do it. Yeah, and I will say uh, for myself, I wasn't looking at the word count when I was reading the story. So you just read the story and then you decide. Yeah, and you get a sense at times when it's a short one. You've been reading so many, Mm. you do get a sense that it was short, but yeah, it doesn't create bias. It's the story quality at the end of the day. Just a couple of other points I think people might be interested to know. It's the kinds of things I wondered about writing competitions. Do the judges read every single word of every single story? Yes. Yes. Yes, we did. We didn't both read every single word of every single story. As we described earlier, we did a bit of a cull first and certainly for the shortlist, read repeatedly. Mm -hmm. So they were given their due respect. Uh, What about typos? Am I I discounted if I accidentally left a typo in? Yes. (laughs) No, no, absolutely not. False. No. No, you were not discounted for that. I think you could leave a typo in. If your story was otherwise amazing, you would easily make the long list with a typo. And I I bet if we went through the long list now, we'd find a whole bunch of typos. I will say, though, that there were some stories that had a typo in the first line. And that hurts my heart. (laughs) I think it's fair to say that although having a typo or a grammatical error won't necessarily rule you out, particularly at long list level. Perhaps once it gets to the point you're end, it may be a reason to exclude you. But at long list level, not so much. But it does tend to indicate, in my view, that the story probably needed a bit more editing anyway. Yeah. It wasn't just the typo that was the issue. It needed to be read again and, and tidied up. So that's something to bear in mind. And guys, come on, leave yourself enough time to do a spell check, please. <laughs> <laughs> there was plenty of instances I saw where words were missing yeah. or you could see someone had edited and not quite reread the sentence properly. Yeah. When and mistakes happen. So For sure. don't like, beat yourself up over it. And to be fair as well, like if you've got a typo in your first line and mm. that's your first impression. Yep. So like you're going to have to work pretty bloody hard to get back out of that, mm. I think, if that's where you're at in your first line. I will say, though, that there were some entries that we read and we you mentioned earlier that we had entries from 51 countries that we know of. There were some that were clearly, to me, written by people who had English as a second language. Mm-hmm. It, it yep. just seemed evident that that was the case. I didn't know that. I didn't have any indication of what country they were from when I was reading it, but it, it was clear to me yep. as an English native English speaker. But again, I would say that didn't necessarily rule people out of the running. No, I agree. Yeah, and in fact, there was one particular one that we might give a shout out to later who um, made it quite far in the competition, just with the tone and the, the narrative voice, despite the fact that perhaps the the structure of the language wasn't as elegant as it might otherwise have been. Yeah. There are a few people who are frustrated about the lack of formatting in the form, like they lost their mm. italics and they lost their centre alignment and things. Yeah, it's just, a, I guess, a technical thing and uh, I think a lot of comps have the same kind of limitations that when you convert something to just text, mm. you lose that formatting that you might have in Word or wherever you're doing your editing. So once you convert that to text, you, you lose it. 
I mean, something that we can consider in the future to see if there yeah. are any other. I'm uh, a big fan of italics and bold, and I think it's important. So yeah. I, I would, I certainly think that we would be aiming to include that next time. Or maybe we can be more clear about just tags, tags that like we that. can then yeah. auto correct on the other end or so on. And finally, I guess, and we've sort of touched on this already, but to what extent is it subjective? The judging process. <laughs> I mean, on the one hand, it's 100% subjective. Yeah. And on the other hand, there are things that define good writing mm. that are not subjective. Yeah. And I think we both made attempts to make it more objective. Mm. We had our own different systems that we used. You know, I was adding columns to a spreadsheet to, yep. to sort of remind myself of reasons why something should or shouldn't mm. go through. Um, typically, I think it was the rereading ones that were borderline to yeah. sort of compare against each other that, again, I guess it's subjective, but you are tending to compare technical capability at that point. And sometimes it's, it's difficult because there were definitely stories that broke out of traditional storytelling and uh, experimented with um, different structures and different formats. Those are much more subjective. Mm. You have to recognise that the writer is trying to do something a little bit different and you have to find a way to, to judge that. Um, so, I mean, I know that in the process I followed, I kind of took a few main elements uh, as guides. One was the use of prompts. Mm. Uh, how how well did they use them? Uh, how much did it, did they meet the brief to start off with? And then after that, were they creative? Were they different? The second was the quality of the writing mm. itself. Mm. How how good was the prose? And there's so many factors that go yeah. into that. But as writers ourselves, like we have a good sense of that. As yes. writers and readers, um, a good sense of what makes quality piece of writing. And the third was the story. Yeah. So those are the three things that for me, I think that I tried to at least, you can't be entirely objective, but at least to try and give some sort of framework for judging. That's mm. what I used. Yeah. I think we, we both had a sort of loose framework mm. and that evolved throughout the process. Uh, just to come back to Erin's question, she was asking like, how do you go through them? Do you print them? Like, what do you do? Well, t technically what we did was um, it all went into a spreadsheet. And yep. so, again, we de-identified first before we went through, um, but we had a spreadsheet and the stories were all in there. Now, what Ed then did was create some Word documents. So, we talked earlier about how we had batches. So, he created a Word document per batch, which had each of the up to 35 stories with the title, the brief description, if there was one, and then the story. And so, I guess the process was, in my case, I mean, I didn't print them off. I read on a Word document on my desktop computer. There were some that I read on my phone at different mm -hmm. times, but they were all coming from these individual documents. And then what we did was we took our responses to that and entered those into the Excel spreadsheet back in against the entry ID. Yeah, and I didn't print them out either. I think that would have been too much paper yeah, for a start. just not how, how I sort of roll. Since I was putting my entries in on the spreadsheet anyway, it yeah, didn't exactly. really feel necessary. So I hope that answers your question. I'm sure judges of other competitions do it very differently. I'm sure mm -hmm. there's ones who print it out and make notes yep. in pen on the, on the paper. Um, but that was our process. So Christoph on Twitter said, I have a feeling that not all prompts are created equal. Genre and setting and character prompts have far more significant ramifications than word or action prompts. But sometimes I get feedback that word or action wasn't central enough. So I'm not sure what competition Christoph's referring to there because we obviously haven't mm. done this before. So this, this wasn't for our competition. And I would refer everyone back to uh, our episode seven where we talked about 
prompts in detail and how they can sometimes be limiting or expansive. Different types of yeah. prompts can sort of box you in. But it's an interesting point, I think. Do they need to be central? What's yeah. your feeling? On well, that? I think, as you say, every competition is different and, and different judges judge differently. But I think, look, for this competition, we were quite lenient. Mm. And maybe next time around, we might change those criteria a little bit more. I think we we're looking for, has the person written with the intention of writing for this competition? Mm. Were they inspired by the prompts or did they show that they were at least trying to adhere to the prompts? Mm. Were they writing in the spirit of the competition, I guess you'd put it? I don't think that, that the prompts needed to be central, but I think that stories that really embraced the prompts and took them as a central part of the story were sometimes better received. Oh, that's interesting because mm. I seem to remember that in our bonus episode, How to Win the Not Quite Right Prize, I said exactly that and you shot me down. <laughs> well, no, I, th I think, but when you are comparing two stories that are close in quality, that can be a differentiating factor, right? Like yeah. if you go back to those three criteria of story, writing and prompt, then the prompt becomes the defining factor. I mean, I'll reiterate what I said in the bonus episode, which was basically that I really appreciate mm. when I read a story, and this is as an entrant as well in other competitions, when I read a story that I can see has leaned into the prompts and done it really successfully because I find that impressive. Mm. So I think it's one thing to write a story that inspires you, yep. but if I can see that you have mastered what was given to you, yep. that to me is impressive. That shows talent. Um, and of course, it, it shows luck too, because sometimes you're just inspired and sometimes you're not, and that's fine. But certainly I would say in our initial reading of these stories, while I wasn't focused on the prompts, certainly there were stories where it stood out. And in particular, I would say the anti-prompt. Yep. So not avoiding all adverbs. When people executed that in a really clever way, that was like a huge tick for me. And at that point, you would have to be writing pretty badly for me to not want to keep you in because I just felt so strongly that that was in the spirit of the competition and just an, an indication of that person's skill and creativity. Now, while some people were clever, and I think I indicated this before as well, you could be super clever, but maybe not so strong on the execution of the writing. Yeah. Um, but as you said, it was one factor. And so if you've, if you've had a clever take on the prompts or, a, or an effective take on the prompts in whatever way that may be, and that's clear to us, then that's that's already gotten you a lot of the way towards the long list and you just then have to execute. It's true, but I, I do think that the story and the writing comes first. Absolutely. And I think that's what you come back to. Like, certainly there were stories where there was no evidence necessarily of the prompts or it wasn't really at the mm. forefront of that story. That didn't stop me from including it. Yeah. I guess it just, I but, noticed it when it was there. And But on the same token, there were stories that really leaned into the prompts and went crazy, but were lacking in other areas. Yes, or went crazy with the prompts in a way that wasn't effective yeah. and didn't deliver what it needed to deliver. Um, and again, I'm thinking of the anti-prompt in particular, like there's a reason yes. why we have have the rule avoid all have yeah. And perhaps some people didn't really understand or execute the opposite of that. Christoph also said... I imagine the criteria don't mean that much until the judges engage with the entrance interpretations of the criteria. I wonder if that means who you read first matters. Yeah, so the only thing I'll say to that is that when, you, when you're going into a fresh and you haven't read any stories, you're not really sure what to expect. So we have, for example, the, the word right 
you don't know what you're going to read again and again, what the most common interpretations of the prompts are going to be. So I guess initially you might be a little bit more forgiving or you might not be aware of of the types of interpretations that are overused. Mm. But I really don't think that's a huge factor to be honest. No, I mean, I, I definitely think it's a factor, right? Yeah. I think it, it would be disingenuous to say it, it was irrelevant what order we read them in. I, I honestly was much more generous in the beginning mm. in terms of like allowing things through the gates or whatever into what may or may not be the long list. But not just because of the prompts at that point, just because... Just because it got read first. You don't know where the level of, yeah, of quality just is. Because, but, but probably a bit because yeah. of the prompts, because as you said, you're not sick of anything yet, yes. basically. But... We did randomise the entries, so it wasn't a matter of first in, best dressed or anything like that. It, it was a matter of luck in terms of what order you were read in. And again, we split it up into two lots. So you might have been late in the mix, but mm-hmm. you were one of the earlier ones that Ed read. So the other thing to bear in mind is that I don't really think that I excluded anything from the long list that should be there. No. I think generally speaking, that initial pass was generous in terms of like, if I wasn't sure... I gave it the benefit of the doubt and I let it through the gates and then I allowed you to help make that decision. Now, bearing in mind too that by the time we were reading each other's, we'd read a lot by that point. Yeah. So I think by that stage, it wasn't so much that it's not like we'd become jaded or whatever. We just had a really good sense of what stories were standing out yeah. and for what reasons. So in terms of usage of the prompts, yes, and we'll get into them. There were some that did get a bit overused. Um, but I'm, I don't think that would have excluded you from the long list. No, and actually I'll tell you what I did is once I'd read a couple, I think once I'd read the first three batches, I actually went back and rejudged the first mm. batch just because I'd learned a few things and I felt a bit more comfortable yep. with where the overall level was and where I needed to draw distinctions. Yeah, I don't think I changed too much, but I, I wanted to go through that exercise just to make sure that I had an unfairly treated some of them in the first group or overlooked some. And I think that's where it helped to have this spreadsheet because I was making notes for myself. Mm. Like if I wasn't sure or I had a reason to like or dislike something, I would have made a note of that so that when I came back, I could treat it more fairly and more objectively with reference to other stories that, that I'd read. Just as an extension to this idea of does it matter if you were read first, something that I guess has been in my mind when I'm a competition entrant is doesn't matter what mood the judge is in. doesn't matter, like, did you catch them when they were hangry for dinner or did you catch them, you know, when they were about to fall asleep? Like, do you think your personal mood or situation affected your judging? So I don't think it did because I only read at times where I felt I was in the right frame of mind to do it. Mm-hmm. I never, I mean, we had enough time. We gave ourselves yeah. enough time to do it. I never just went, oh, I've got to get this done. I'll just, I'll just read a few now, like while I'm waiting for something. I always said, I've got three or four hours. I'm going to sit down and I'm going to read this chunk and make sure I can give it the right time. So I don't think that was a huge factor for me. Yeah. I, I mean, I would say there were certainly times I was reading, I was probably churning through them a bit more quickly than you were, where I was getting tired or a little bit um, fatigued yep. by the reading. And at that point I was identifying that was happening to me. Yeah. And so I would stop yep. and... I would go back to those stories that I felt I hadn't really fully absorbed. So, yeah, I think that does matter. I think you could just get unlucky. I mean, there's no way to – that's just pure luck. There's no way to sort of engineer that any one way or the other. I would just say, you know, we acknowledge we're fallible humans, but we were trying to our best to kind of 
be yep. fair to everyone and give everybody Completely. the appropriate time of day. So thank you to our followers for sharing those questions. Um, the questions I've had myself. It's nice to be able to shed some light on that. Of course, we're only speaking for ourselves and the not quite right prize. Who knows what goes on behind the scenes at the other competitions. All right. Well, let's, let's talk about the prompts. Um, I'm really keen to talk about the prompts because it was really interesting to see how people interpreted the prompts. Uh, So to recap, we had three prompts. The first prompt was to include the word right, R-I-T-E. So, I mean, obviously the reason why this was selected, we're not quite right. And this is not quite right. We thought we were so fucking so clever. clever. <laughs> <laughs> it's our first competition. It needed to feel relevant. That's so right. that's our justification. Yeah. We are also fans of the kinds of words that you can adapt and, and put in bigger words, mm. you know, in competitions that uh, allow some flexibility. So we wanted there to be flexibility for people there. Yeah. And sometimes those words that can be adapted into bigger words, you can only really do two or three words. But I think right is one that there are dozens and dozens of words that you can make that into. So I think when we're talking about creativity and, and judging prompts, a lot of it for me, and again, this, this the quality of the story doesn't rest on this, but to kind of stand out from the crowd, it's of benefit to look at those words and you can just Google words that include the word right yeah. and come up with a list of just dozens and dozens of words. I hope and assume everyone did that. <laughs> yeah, and absolutely. And, and that is inspiring, like to, to, to look through that list of words and see, oh, actually, I could write a story about this. Mm, you know? And to let that sort of percolate and yeah. see what comes of it. Because I think by far the most um, commonly used instance was just simply using the word right and using it in the phrase of rite of passage. Yes. In fact, I've got some stats oh, here you for do. you. Yes. So the word right, R-I-T-E, was used 444 times, guys. Oh, wow. That's a lot of times. And again, that, that certainly was repeated usages in single stories. So that doesn't mean 444 stories used that word, uh, but that's how many times the word mm. right appeared. And that included, give me a guess, how many rite of passage out of 444 rite? Uh, I'm going to say 166. Ooh, 112. Okay. It was a lot, guys. It was a lot. It was was a lot. lot. Um, And I would say in terms of probably the only thing that grated on me by the end was rite of passage. I'm sorry to say. Didn't rule you out. It didn't disqualify anyone because the long list contains many instances of rite of passage. Well, it must. (laughs) But definitely sometimes when you didn't encounter that, like I would definitely breathe a sigh of relief. Yeah, totally. I should say as well, the use of R-I-T-E, right? That included some some clever usages. Mm. So not just rite as in, you know, a ceremony or what have you. Um, we had, you know, some brands. We had Price Right yeah. and Shoot Right. Um, and Rite Aid? Rite Aid, yeah. yes. Which is, this, is that a store? It's, I think it's a pharmacy in the US. Okay. Or a drug store. A, dr- a drug store. <laughs> we don't have drug stores in Australia. You'd get arrested. That's so, right. <laughs> but yeah, so I thought, you know, in those cases, like RIT, like it, it was fresh. Mm-hmm. Now, what do you think after RIT, what do you think came second? 100% Sprite. No. no. Oh, my no. God. Sprite was, oh, right, W-R-I-T-E. W-R-I-T-E. Yeah, yeah. So W-R-I-T-E and included writer mm-hmm. um, yeah. and also included specific types of writer like songwriter, screenwriter, ghostwriter. Yeah. Um, 325. Yeah. So 
pretty bloody high. Yes. Lots of writers. Yeah. But I would say that writer tended to fade into the distance a yeah. little bit more than write because it's so just too. a less like in your face yeah. kind of word. Typewriter yeah. was a common one. I'm not yeah, sure typewriter. So um, now Sprite, which you indicated. So mm. there's, there's a couple of types of Sprite. We have our little fairy friends and we yes. have our um, sugary be- carbonated beverages. There were 149 uses of Sprite, mm. which again is quite high. And I would say, and this is just purely an estimate, but roughly 50-50 drink versus imp. <laughs> <laughs> don't you think about roughly half-half? I, I don't recall too many instances of Sprite as a drink. Really? Um, yeah, oh, I got, maybe, I got quite a few. it's just a yeah, difference in, in the batches. But I think the, the word Sprite and the word write, R-I-T-E, resulted in quite a lot of fairy-based stories mm. and, like, witchy-based stories, mm. um, rituals. Yep. So, well, so I that mean, was a big we did theme. say write needed to be. Yeah, but, but <laughs> I mean, like, rituals. Not, but there were rite of passage kind of rituals yeah. versus mystical rituals mm, mm-hmm. involving fairies and, and other mm. mythical beings. Now, I'm, a, I'm, let's say I'm one of Coke's favourite customers, so I did, <laughs> I did not mind seeing plenty of stories about about the beverage. Now, coming in at 124 usages was favourite. Yep, that was a good one, though. I like that. That was a good one. That's one that certainly you were able to just Mm -hmm. hide in your story and and it it wouldn't scream out to us. So that's one if you wanted to hide it. Trite was 115 times. Um, I did find personally that trite tended to be a little bit more in your face. So when there was a usage of the word trite, it sort of was slightly jarring, but probably because we were reading so many stories with RITE. I think trite was a very common one. Yes. Um, So then just to run through a few more, we had 62 usages of contrite. Mm -hmm. We had 60 usages of spirited or dispirited. We had 48 meteorites. That's a lot of meteorites. Um, We had 32 hypocrites. Yep. We had 21 marguerites. Right. Yeah. Um, but just one Brittany. <laughs> Shout out to my beloved Unky Herb for that one. And pyrite. There were 15 usages of pyrite. So shout out to all my friends who participated in the Writers Victoria 2022 Flash Fiction Challenge on Twitter. They will fondly remember pyrite from that. And I hope there was a few of you in there with your pyrite stories. Good on you if you did. And then... Probably my favourite, right, of all the rights, pomme frites. (laughs) (laughs) We had some steak frites and we had some pomme frites Mm -hmm. and I was a fan, but only a handful of those. So, like, huge variety. And this is, like, there's more, guys. There yeah. was some scientific terms. Azurite was yeah. one I that popped I up a few, few times. Alexandrite, a couple of stories actually, Ooh, actually okay. used that one. Ooh. Not um, in my share of the, the stories. And, and I just, sorry, I just really needed to give a shout out to Sandra Tom Jones, whose story, Delightfully Trite, included 29 usages of right, <laughs> which included the title. So we had trite, co-favourite, songwriter, trailerite, sibarite, copywriter, screenwriter, typewriter, right, ghostwriter, inherited, writers, co-writers, spirited, outright, rewrite, mean-spirited, bleacherite, unmerited, subwriter, writerly, skywriter, screenwriters, writers, anchorite, dispiritedly, contritely, spiritedly, and a box of Cadbury favourites. Nice. That's, That's a commitment. lot of rights, for sure. So a lot, a huge amount of variety for us to work with, and we did engineer it that way. So well mm. done, guys. 
Yeah, and definitely we appreciated unusual uh, uses of the word right. I think a couple of my favourites you mentioned, um, Brittany. Yes. I actually li- I liked the made-up ones and the ones that were, were very unique. And shout-out to Charles Byrne for his story Modern Human, which used Am I Right? Yes, loved Am I Right. Well done. That was great. I'd also like to shout out the Scotch Bright. <laughs> Love a Scotch Bright. Scotch Bright, for those who aren't aware, is a scourer or like a dishwashing sponge sort of thing. Mm-hmm. So that was fun. I mean, that was fun. And I feel like, you know, each person took their own inspiration for that and ran with it. And I think that's an indication of a prompt that is that does allow some variety. Yeah, that's you know, right. Yep. If you want to hide it in there with the word favourite or writer, you can hide it, you know, but if you want to make it front and centre, you can do that too. Yeah, but I think the real the takeaway there for people who are entering competitions is just to think about what other people are going to choose. What's the obvious connection that people are going to make and what's the obvious cliche phrase that mm. might come from that word? And generally speaking, I'd say avoid that phrase. I would say avoid that phrase too. And again, it didn't rule you out of the yeah. running. Um, but I probably would say that rite of passage, for example, it's the kind of phrase that's it's a, it's loud. Yeah. You know, it's really loud because it's not the kind of thing that you necessarily just encounter day yeah. to day. And same with the word R-I-T, right, anyway. Like it's, right. it's not an easy to hide word. And if it's not easy to hide, then you need to be doing something special with it. And I'm not sure that just throwing in the phrase rite of passage is doing something special yeah. enough when you know that it's going to be appearing multiple times. But, hey, look, don't beat yourself up if you use rite of passage. That's not what I'm there here to say There are some in the shortlist for sure. So. Absolutely. Yep. So our second prompt was include the action – crossing a line. I think we purposely went quite lenient on this one. We've been in competitions where they say you have to explicitly have a character who does the action in the story and it has to be called out as an action. It can't happen before, it can't happen after, it can't just be referenced in dialogue. It has to happen. Um, And we found that too restrictive. We want it to be a little bit That's right. The thing with crossing a line is it can be a a physical thing, it can be a literal thing. You can cross a, a road or a train line or whatever, or you can do it in a more figurative way. Mm. But I think, look, we spent some time going back over the entries and trying to work out who did follow that prompt and didn't follow that prompt. And we were erred on the side of benefit of the doubt. Yeah. It's, it's kind of easy in a lot of circumstances to argue that someone crossed a figurative line exactly. in a story. It's hard to find. I guess it's just part of writing fiction. There has to be some sort of transgression or some, something has to happen that you could then call out as a line. I think probably we're, we're thinking the next time we, we need to be a little bit more strict on, on that kind of prompt and not have it so open to interpretation. And the reason for that is absolutely not to stem creativity by any means. It's more to be clear that we're being fair Yeah. because I think there were plenty of entries, well, a handful at least, where people had clearly missed a mm. prompt or prompts. Um, and to be fair to the people who followed the rules, I think – I would want to be clear that someone yeah. really did. Like if you're making the long list and someone else didn't, I want to know that you you actually yeah. <laughs> met the brief. And there were some instances in the long list and even the short list where, we, you know, we had to make an argument for it and we would have preferred for that to have been more evident so that we wouldn't have to justify why an entry made it and another one didn't. Yeah. So I guess with this action, what were you looking for? Well, look, I wasn't looking for anything in particular. Certainly we went... 
went into this knowing that there could be a literal or figurative interpretation mm. of that. And I guess my instinct if I was writing would be to go with the figurative. But there was some really fun literal interpretations. So, mm. for example, dotting your I's and crossing your T's, there was some literal crossing yep. of T's. This was a tricky one, I think, to really nail as a writer because I think sometimes when it was called out too explicitly, Mm. it felt a little bit too overt, like you were ticking a box and and the character would say, you're crossing a line. I I really did appreciate those stories where that was treated a lot more subtly, yet was clear. Yes. Or not even necessarily subtly, but wasn't called out as, as you have crossed a line. Yeah. Where it was evident that someone had crossed a line, but not perhaps in those terms. Yeah. So I've got a couple of call outs for this one, a story by Isabel Burns called What Franny Did. She rolled it up into a simile, crossing lines like she's the Beatles on Abbey Road. Yeah, I remember that one. We've got the Beatles crossing Abbey Road right, right behind, behind you right head. now. That's so, right. Oh, God. Is Franny here? <laughs> Franny's here. <laughs> behind you. The interrogation. There was a literal line being crossed and a figurative line being crossed at the same time. Uh, Remy Joel, the author here, had a character who's skirt had an orange line on the edge of it and that was a line that her romantic counterpart was deciding whether or not to cross yeah and that's a case of the line really being the the centerpiece of the story yeah um, not just an action that happens within the story it's really that that story was all about the line yes and i i found that quite compelling i thought that was that was executed well there was also a handful talking about crossing the line from life to death. Mm-hmm. Yeah, quite and a few. one that I wanted to call out was A Break in the Clouds by Kaylee McIntyre, which also had a great opening line. There was a few picket lines crossed too, yep. I noticed. Yep, yep, some strike action going on. That's right. Lots of finish lines were crossed. Yeah. There was some uh, ritualistic circles of oh, chalk right, and yeah, yeah. blood and all sorts of yeah. bodily fluids <laughs> getting yeah. crossed as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, thinking of Britney's Bad Day right, yeah. as well, uh, there was a very interesting line crossed there, which was there was a play being performed mm-hmm. and the lead character was sperm <laughs> crossing <laughs> the line into the ovum. Bit of fun there. That's right. <laughs> Definitely a memorable interpretation. <laughs> there was there was quite a few thresholds crossed as well, yes. I think, some doorways being walked through. Mm-hmm. And, of course, there was the, the figurative crossing of the yeah. line. So there was lots of crime. Um, there was some decisions that people couldn't go back from. Relationship boundaries. Yeah. And all of that stuff was great. All right. And the last prompt, the anti-prompt, was avoid all adverbs. So it's a tricky one from a writing perspective because... Very tricky. Like you said earlier... Sorry, guys. (laughs) (laughs) um, Sorry, not sorry. The rule is there for a reason. So when we came up with this as an anti-prompt, and we've actually talked about adverbs, I think, on a previous episode. Early on in the piece, Yeah, very early on at at length. Um, The rule is there for a reason. And what we're not asking people to do is break the rule just for the sake of using as many adverbs as you can possibly cram into your story. Because we still want good writing. Mm. So the challenge, and this is really where the challenge is, the first two prompts are inspirational. Do you meet the prompt? Do you embrace the prompt? This third one, the anti-prompt, is really, that's the challenge. Can you write a good story while breaking this rule? And the answer to that question is yes, because some people really did. Mm. Um, But it was very evident, I think, to us, um, the stories where the author had very thoughtfully broken that rule and the stories where perhaps the author didn't have 
an amazing grasp on why that might be a rule and the stories where perhaps <laughs> it was brushed aside, yeah. knowing that it was hard to write a story well while ignoring that quote-unquote rule. Now, we're not here to say that rules must be followed. Rules are there to be broken. But as we know with these kinds of rules in art and in craft, you need to be breaking it for a solid reason. You need to be clear on why you're breaking it. And if you are clear on that, then you're probably going to be doing well. Yeah. So I think there are a few ways that I saw that people broke this rule well mm-hmm. that I'd call out. Uh, another another shout out to the interrogation in using the adverbs only in dialogue. And that's actually something we talked about in our episode about adverbs is one of the, the ways that they're used realistically is in speech because people do use adverbs in speech a lot. And so when you include you them in did dialogue, it a couple of times then. <laughs> and, and only in dialogue, you're breaking the no adverbs rule, but you're doing it in a way that reflects good writing. I think another story that used it effectively in dialogue and internal monologue was perfectly well adequately mm-hmm. by Terence Gallagher. Oh, yeah. uh, so Terence leaned hard into the adverb prompt, and I would say I don't know, I don't know if you'd agree, and I'd have to go back through them all, but just throwing it out there, it was. It was the best or one of the best execution of a straight attempt at just inserting as many as possible. So that wasn't always achieved. And in fact, almost always was not an effective way to break that rule. So I've got that story as well on my call outs. And the reason is not just because it inserted a lot of adverbs, but because it made it a central part of the style of the story, like of the structure of the story. And there are a few stories that did that quite well. It became part of the voice of the story. And again, same with uh, Remy Joel's The Interrogation, that the breaking of the rule there really became what that story was all about and uh, became its strength. There were some stories uh, where the author had challenged themselves to insert an adverb into every single sentence. Mm -hmm. I saw that a couple of times. And that's absolutely great practice. And I applaud you. That's brave. Uh, It was risky. And unfortunately, the risk didn't pay off. Mm -hmm. But you know, it's an interesting challenge to yourself to do that and see what it does to your writing. Another approach that a few people took was to use adverbs as character names. Yes. So one example was Guess Who by Lisa Harper Campbell, which used the name Verily, which I thought was cute. We also had Strike Action by Michael Burrows, which was especially clever, I thought. So our character here was Lee, but Michael Burrows had used the name Lee as the suffix. Oh, so yes, we had proud Lee, yep. loyal Lee, uh, and I have to say that that won me over. That was very clever and quite funny too. Another way, I guess, to embrace the anti-prompt that I saw done well was like showcasing one specific adverb, like just picking one and letting that be the inspiration for the story. So an example is slowly by Iris Dew, who used the word slowly as a key driving force behind their main character. Um, It was something their character had been criticised about going slowly. And the word was repeated, I think, effectively throughout the story. Another way I saw the anti-prompt handled was very subtly. Mm -hmm. So there were quite a few stories where maybe they just had an adverb in there. So they, they technically met the rule, 
they didn't avoid all adverbs. There was one there. One example uh, I'll call out is Backmire Bridge Summer Await by Emirata Burkle, who used the phrase bled beautifully in their story. And I like that that phrase because it's not it's not a verb adverb combination that you would see. No, very it's not often. predictable. And there isn't a verb that you would just readily throw in to represent what that's saying. So I thought that was a good take. Yeah, it's the I guess the juxtaposition of those two things together that yep. makes that an elegant turn of phrase. So another way that people handled the anti-prompt was to think of a situation where adverbs were like super relevant. Mm. So one example that I wanted to shout out was another entry by Iris Dew uh, called Woman Non-English Speaking Background, which went into the story of a police report and how adverbs might not be acceptable when uh, writing a police report because, you know, you need to be very factual. Um, So I thought that was an interesting take as well. It's just sort of heading into more general comments now. The overall standard of entries was way higher than I was expecting. I would say, however, that it was rare for ones to really stand out as being strong on, you talked before about story, quality of writing and use of the prompts for any particular entry to tick all of those three, like enthusiastically ticked in the columns, that was rare. Um, And so we were seeing a lot more entries where we were loving it sort of for one reason or a couple of reasons, but maybe not ticking every single box. Yeah, I agree with that. And I think the hardest, some of the hardest decisions were in coming up with the long list. Definitely. Like what made those ones stand out? And, And that's where there probably was a lot of subjectivity going into things to say, well, what made one better than the other? Well, I mean, it may have been better on this criterion and that criterion, but not on these other ones. And so you just sort of had to take an overall view. I would also say, and I guess this was something I learned for myself, that the ones that executed plot or like story or a, a message, like it wasn't always a, a plot, I guess, um, the ones that executed that and were very well written stood out because often writers tended to be strong in one or the other. And so if you want to go next level, those who could write well and had a good story but also had a really strong sense of character, Mm. those were elevated above. And that's something I'm taking away from my own writing is that really creating a strong character and strong sense of like setting, like really grounding it, your story in those elements definitely makes it stand out. Would you say you could tell pretty quickly, generally speaking, if you were going to like a story or not? There were several stories that I remember reading and being engaged in initially and thinking, yeah, this is this story is going to be good. Mm-hmm. And they just fizzled out mm. and they didn't really go where they needed to didn't go. Didn't sort of deliver. Yeah. yeah. But there were others that really just stood out on first reading like, hey, yes, that's in. Yeah. So, yeah, I think it was really a mixed bag. I would say one thing I was probably a little bit disappointed about after we sort of gave some hints and tips in our bonus episode was that I really felt like there was a lot of missed opportunities on titles. Now, I say this as someone who's really shit at titles, so I don't have a leg to stand on here, but generally speaking, I didn't feel like the titles had that quality where they added something to the story. They were just, generally speaking, very utilitarian. (laughs) You know, they did the job. There were a couple that I thought were were quite clever. Number one by Galen Gower was Farewell to the Precious Balls. Yes. I thought that was quite a a good title and pretty much set up what to expect in the story. (laughs) That got my attention. 
The other one, which uh, I mean, I don't know, but it maybe it grew on me, was Untitled Number Two <laughs> by Greg Schmidt. Oh, we'll get to that. Yeah, we'll get to that story. That, that was a memorable story. Memorable but, story uh, for the all the wrong reasons. It's kind of a little bit understated, but um, once you read the story, it has a, a new significance. What Absolutely. about you? So one that caught my attention was Doug versus the Immortal Snail. Yes. Yeah. And I'm familiar with the Immortal Snail meme, so that got my attention immediately. Um, a ragged man and a cold chihuahua. Oh, yeah. I also liked Ask Me Nicely, yeah. mainly because I already saw that a prompt had been handled in the title mm-hmm. and I thought, oh, okay, that's intriguing. Like, let's see where they go with that. And similarly, uh, the title, Perfectly Well Adequately. Yeah. I confess, I like a pun. So I enjoyed Mid-Death Crisis and Starboard Crossed Lovers. <laughs> <laughs> and then just for the shock value, I guess I like Goth girls kill birds. <laughs> Love a bit of edginess. You know, we did invite people to offend us. So I did like peach face bastards. And I also liked yellow warm liquid. <laughs> <laughs> it just made me laugh before I even began. So that's always, that's always a charmer. Speaking of offensiveness, I noticed a real theme with myself because I was looking at some of the opening lines that I enjoyed. And mm. honestly, it was pretty much all peppered with swearing. Like that's, I don't know yeah. what that says about me, but it got my attention and made me laugh immediately. <laughs> uh, again, from farewell to the precious balls. I took a break at work yesterday to jerk off into a little cup. It gets your attention. It does. By J.M. Huya, the story Limerence. Let's say it together. Hazel, Hazel wanted, wanted to, to fuck, fuck her, her dentist. dentist. <laughs> was that your favorite? That was my favorite first line, I reckon. Yeah, it gets your attention. And that was a good story. I enjoyed that story. But it gets your attention. And, you and just, it's you short, sharp, reading. direct. Um, what else you got? I also liked Summer Lessons by uh, Lauren Dennis. I only took that job because my parents said I couldn't sit around all summer and an honest day's work would help me mature, whatever that meant. I also needed money for weed. so that set up the character pretty quick smart and uh, the plot of the story as well and just continuing on with my theme a break in the clouds by kaylee mcintyre begins fuck stay lit you stupid asshole candle (laughs) like well done two in one i'll also call out janelle mcgregor in her story rite of passage for the fastest use of all of the prompts in the story (laughs) so the story is called rite of passage and the first line is you just crossed over the line, Dad said playfully. Hey, That's all well three done. prompts. <laughs> Boom. Um, getting on a more serious note, I guess, here's some ones that were evocative to me. So we had babysitting for your older sister right after your boyfriend breaks up with you, which is up there with the longer titles. Yeah. Um, that's by Sheila M. And the opening sentence was, the straps of your sister's satin dress are cinching, twisted earthworms crisscrossing on her back. Yeah, that's quite I nice. I just felt that was a nice um, evocative opening line. We also had Finders Keepers by Helen Turton, and the opening line was, they're called unattended deaths, which is a nice way of saying someone lived and died on their own. And I also just have to call out Unky Herb, and I will, so Greg Eccleston, who is my uncle and whose entry I identified immediately and he had to be disqualified for, uh, but which (laughs) did entertain me no end, Brittany's Bad Day. Uh, And the opening line of Brittany's Bad Day was, her name was Brittany. She was smarter than her mother. 
but only just. I've got a couple more. So a story called Southern Baptism by Catherine Healy. The opening line is, One night a few years ago, I met God at an old gas station just outside the city of Laverne, Alabama. And I like that one because it is evocative and makes you wonder about what's going to come next. And I did enjoy that story as well. What I enjoyed about that story was that a Southern baptism is apparently getting coke. Uh, sorry, I beg your pardon. <laughs> Pepsi spilled all over you. <laughs> That's right. Oh, sorry, I just misspoke. I've offended all the Southerners there. <laughs> uh, and another one, How to Establish Cordial Relations with Your Cephalopod Neighbor by Mary Robinson. And the opening line is a giant squid has moved in next door and the walls are crepe paper whisper thin. Uh, And I like that because it was quite a surreal story and I thought that line really uh, set up the story well. And I think despite the fact that all these opening lines are very different from each other, the thing that makes them similar is that they got our attention immediately. Mm. And when we're reading story after story after story, like I I cannot emphasize enough how important that first line is in setting up the judge to enjoy your story. It's not make or break. Uh, but yeah. it's certainly a big helping hand in getting you the favour of the judges, I think, if, if they can see in your opening sentence, like, okay, all right, what do we got here? You know, that's going to be a good start. And similarly, the closing line, and I didn't, didn't make a list of my favourite closing lines, but just that sense of satisfaction you get at reading the final line of a story, mm. I think is so important to your overall impression of whether that delivered for you or not. If it, it might have had weaknesses here and there, but if you if that closing line just wraps everything else up nicely, I think that's going to be a big tick. Now, one big sort of new question that we have to deal with here is the AI question. Right, yes. So we did make it clear in our terms and conditions that uh, while we welcome our AI overlords, uh, we don't necessarily feel they have a place in a creative writing competition. Um, Certainly we all use AI in terms of spell checking and things like that. I guess where we draw the distinction is using it to do the job for you. Yeah. And so I've got got a few stats on it. So we ran it through AI detection software. We ran every story through and what this particular software did is it gave an indication of the percentage that was human written, the percentage that was AI generated, and then it actually broke down the sentences that it was claiming were AI generated. Now, I will say very clearly up front that this was a very imperfect piece of software and interestingly enough, while we were judging the competition, ChatGPT's AI detection tool got Shut down. <laughs> so they because had because well, it wasn't accurate. Because it wasn't accurate, yeah. right? So in fact, yeah. and I'll so, I'll read and, for and you. Just to be clear, we we did not use this to exclude stories. No, we didn't. So during the process of judging, ChatGPT's AI classifier was like decommissioned or taken offline. Uh, their statement to the public was, as of July 20, 2023, the AI classifier is no longer available due to its low rate of accuracy. Mm. And they have also stated, our classifier is not fully reliable in our evaluations on a challenging set of English texts. Our classifier correctly identified 26% of AI written text, as in true positives, as likely AI written while incorrectly labelling human-written text as AI-written 9% of the time or false positives. So 26% true positives and 9% false positives. And basically, it's a shit fight. (laughs) And we didn't use the ChatGPT tool for this process. We used a different one. However, um, same problems. And it's clear to see that. Like Mm. we can see with our human eyes um, that in instances where it indicated a high usage of AI-generated sentences, that's not the vibe I yeah. got when I read them. And I have no proof. There's no proof because I wouldn't consider 
this detection software proof. It was just interesting. But what I would say is that what I think the software does do, because it cannot accurately tell you it was generated by AI, but what it does do is perhaps indicate sentences and phrases that might be overused or perhaps generic. Yep. So if you had a high rating of deemed AI generated, it probably indicated that you had quite a lot of sort of commonly used terms yeah. of phrase, like not particularly unique to you. And interestingly, I think certain genres sort of had that problem more than others. So there were a couple of crime stories that rated really highly. And I feel like that's because the way crime stories are often written, it's very tropey and it's like, it's, it's the way it is. You know, yeah. you want it to be that way. You're expecting it to be written a certain way. And that doesn't mean it was written by a computer. Now, there was one story that allegedly, according to this software, was 100% oh, really? AI generated. Yes, there was. But guess what? That story didn't even cover all the prompts. So whoever typed yeah. that in, and I'm assuming they did, but whoever typed that in to like, chat GPT or equivalent yeah. and didn't check that the prompts were covered, like, I don't know, why were you doing that? You're wasting your own time. Yeah, and who knows how these work. So I did some experimenting with one of these. I think it was the ChatGPT uh, classifier. Before it got closed And down. what I did was actually get it to write a story mm. itself. Yes. And then I got it to classify that story. And it didn't class- it classified it as not written by AI, yeah. even though it had just written it like a minute ago. <laughs> so you can't rely on them. And I will say that there were at least, I think, three or four stories that I read that I know work ChatGPT. Yeah. Just because when you, if you've used ChatGPT, it will give you a very predictable story that it may not be able, or classifier may not be able to pick up, but a human can look at that and say, yes, that is that is exactly the style that it writes in. And major red flag is if your story has a moral at the end, because we all know yeah. ChatGPT loves to tell us. <laughs> yeah, it, follows, it follows a very clear structure, and those are pretty easy to pick. And I know at least a few that did yeah. definitely do and, that. And look, Guess what? They didn't rank very highly. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So I don't think there's any risk. And if you're wondering and worrying, because I know there are a lot of creatives out there mm. who are really worried about AI and, and we're not going to get into that right now. Yeah. But what I will say is I don't think it was an issue here. No, no, definitely not. <laughs> um, but just a few stats just for interest based on this limited software, shall we say. Apart from the one story that was classified as 100% AI generated, which didn't even hit the prompt, so it was therefore disqualified, there was one that was ranked highly at 88%. Mm. So that's pretty bloody high, but that was, again, a crime story. So I feel like that might have been a factor. However, I was a bit suspicious because this story was submitted three times, um, but ultimately this story wasn't of a standard that yeah. made the long list anyway, so it wasn't really in serious contention in the long list. 42 of those, so we've got a, a long list of 60, 42 were rated as 0% AI generated. Mm. So take of that what you will. Um, but how I interpret that is that they were quite creative yep. and unique and not phrased in generic language. Um, so that means that there were 18 stories in the long list that indicated some form of AI generation. But again, that's really imperfect and likely false positives. And there were some in particular I went through and looked at the sentences it was picking out as saying it was AI generated. I'm like, I don't know that I agree with you there. So look, I'm calling false positives on that one. There were just three in the long list that were rated 25% or above in terms and around, they were all around 25% AI generated. But again, Looking back over those, and I did, um, to me, it, it felt like false positives there. I guess the moral of the story is we have no way of knowing and we're just trusting at this point people's 
honesty and their intention in entering the competition. But I think it is very safe to say, and I'm sure you'd agree with me, Ed, that there's no way AI was winning this competition. I mean, look, ChatGPT can do a lot, but at the state it is now, it cannot even come close. I think I should be clear that I'm I'm not anti-AI and I'm sure there were people in this competition who used AI, for example, just to run a pass, you know, just yep. to check or to fix a little sentence or to get inspiration, you know, but I also know that vast majority of participants probably Googled things like, mm. give me a list of words with right in them. So I feel like the vast majority of people generated those words using Google and maybe you didn't. If not, well, points to you for using your own brain. I don't have a problem with that kind of usage. It's only when it starts to get to the like, look, I'm trying to pass this off as my own work yeah. when it's clearly not. Uh, and I don't think anything was passed off and got past the no, gates definitely there. not. Did you find, like we talked about, we had a bonus episode, how to win the mm, not quite right yeah. prize. Like, what are we like, right? What we like and see how you go. Did you find your views on that changed or solidified or? I will say that it has been a big learning experience for me. And I think you alluded to it before, not only as a judge, but also as a writer, just Absolutely. seeing what works and seeing what doesn't work. Um, I feel like if I were to enter a flash fiction competition, I'd be much better than I was 100%, before this. hundred percent. I feel like I know how to win now. Yeah. And it's just like, if I just need the idea. That's yeah, like, I just need <laughs> to be able the, to write. Yeah, I just need to like <laughs> do it. That's the challenge. Yeah, yeah so, so in terms of judging, I mean, I think probably number one thing that was driven home to me here was the importance of story. And I'm a person who reads a lot of books that, that are less focused with story than they are with things like character and, I don't know, philosophizing and things like that. But when you are writing a short piece of fiction, you really need to get to the point. Mm. And what I, I found was the ones that really did have a sense of story and did build the characters and take them on a journey and, and bring the reader along. And those were the ones that are really successful. There were quite a lot that I read that weren't really a, a story, but they may have been a fragment of a larger piece or a larger world. And they might work in a, in a novel context or in a larger story as just a little piece. But when you've only got 600 words, you've just got to tell a story. I think that's what probably stood out to me too. And this is one of my big takeaways for what I would aim to do if I was mm. to enter a competition again. Like you're in a writing competition, you're up against writers. Mm. Most of them are pretty good. The standard was actually pretty good across yeah. the board. So, but what wasn't always there was the story part. So you can't just rely on the fact that you're a good writer. It's not enough. Yeah. Or it's rarely enough. Like you have to be really bloody good to write a piece that is just successful on the basis of quality yeah. of writing and not on story or clever execution or other elements that come into it. Again, not to shut down the artistic interpretations of things where people want to take a different approach. I'm not trying to shut that down. But generally speaking, if you're pr just producing a piece of fiction, it needs to be a story. There were so many. I was disappointed. They were just reflections. It's like yeah. someone's internal monologue. And I've been guilty of this myself. But nothing happened. Something happened in the past and they're reflecting on it or something's about to happen and they're thinking about it or they're just, you know, waxing lyrical about life. But within the story, there is no progression. Mm. There's no movement, not even within their thoughts. They don't move from one thought to a new thought throughout the story. It's just this stream of consciousness of thinking about an idea. Yeah. I don't think that's how to win a competition. 
personally, I've underestimated the importance of that in the past. And it's not until you read story after story that you realize how much the the ones that really do embrace the story element just shine through. And mm. that's just a fact. And I guess it's probably a little bit unfair to those who are a little bit more new to the writing game or who are like self-taught or readers rather than perhaps, you know, have educated themselves on the art of, you know, the craft mm. of storytelling where we talk about things like three-act structures and saving cats and, and what have you. But when we talk about story here, and this is where I'm drawing a distinction with or between um, story and like a reflection, Something happens. Mm. I need to be, how do we be clear about that? We have a character, typically, right? Typically speaking, we have a character in a setting who has a goal. They have to go through a process of attempting to achieve that goal. And at the end, they have to either succeed or fail. And that's the outcome of the story. Often it's thought of as a three-act structure, beginning, middle, end. Now, when we look back at a reflection, there is no beginning, middle, end. We're just sort of thinking about a situation. Um, there is no, I guess, another key element of story typically is change in the character, whether that's a physical change or a change in viewpoint or a change in, I don't know, whatever, personality. Um, but a, a distinctive and important change that occurs. Sometimes it's subtle, especially in flash fiction. It can be a subtle change, but it's a clear change from where we begin and where we end. And usually there's some sort of irony there or some sort of meaning, I guess, or message behind that change. It's not just purely change for the sake of change. So I guess all of that together is just to say, like, it it can be easy to think you're writing a story um, when in fact it's something else. And I think as well, it's more than just the structure of the story. Uh, I think there were also some stories that I found, like they were telling a story. Mm. They were, they did have a beginning, middle and an end, but there wasn't really like a sufficiently built up character or an emotional core to that story that you could really latch onto. It was like a sequence of events. So a really good example of that, I think, is there was a lot of, um, and full disclosure, and I believe I disclosed this before we began, but, um, you know, I'm not a big fantasy or sci-fi reader. I did find a lot of those fantasy stories that we received had this exact issue. And in particular, like this really bird's eye view of a life or a bird's eye view of a quest. Um, or in some cases too, there was love stories that, yep. that happened, same sort of thing, where we're looking at this beginning to end story in the space of 600 words mm. and it's just, it's too much. It's not enough time. I think I think with a sci-fi or fantasy story, you're really up against it because what you need to do is set up the rules of the world. What is it about that world that makes it special, whether it's sci-fi or fantasy, And you need to do that while also establishing character and giving the reader a reason to be interested in the story. Like, what's their motivations? What is that person about? And it's very hard to do all of those things. Yeah, and I think that's where I would say, and again, I'm super biased, and so feel free to have your own opinion on this, but that fantasy and sci-fi don't lend themselves to flash fiction. That doesn't mean it can't be done. I think the things that people who love these genres love about them in sci-fi and fantasy, the luxuriating in the setting, yeah. the luxuriating in the world building, you cannot do that in flash fiction or not in the same way. And if you are doing it, it's probably at the expense of character, which I would argue is a more important yeah. element. Yeah, and there's an, a big advantage with a, a word limit in telling a story that people just know or they, they give you a character that you can immediately think, I know who that is. Yeah. And that's a situation that I understand immediately. 
Uh, and that's a lot harder to do when you're talking about a different setting that is not the real world. Yeah. And I think this is where I want to say, like I have stated my biases, but I don't think that was the issue here. Yeah. Because I went into this very open-minded yeah, and same. I was ready to have my mind changed. And there were fantasy stories that I did like. Yep. But again, I think it comes back to, look, you're all good writers, often great, but now you have to give me a piece of flash fiction. And while you might craft a beautiful sentence, and I'm sure in those stories I'm describing, the fantasy stories, um, there were beautiful sentences and beautiful settings that you might want to explore further. Ultimately, the delivery of a piece of flash fiction that engaged me and was compelling, it wasn't there. And I think, you know, I've said already that one of my big takeaways was that plot and craft, you know, working together, Mm. so really prioritising telling a story. Um, The other one was character. And we've touched on this now, but like that to me was like a big thing that I took away, like very early setting up who your character is and being very clear on that very quickly is a winner in a lot of cases. So I found that the authors who were able to establish a really clear character, and especially when that character was interesting, and I just I want to call out Modern Human by Charles Byrne, one of the entries that did an amazing job of mm. setting up a character and a voice that was very distinctive and immediately engaging. And that absolutely won me over with that story. But I think, too, I just want to go back quickly because we've been talking about telling a story and then we're like, oh, but you can't tell a story because it's too big picture and we can't have a beginning, a middle and an end because we don't have time for it, right? What I want to be clear about is that in this case, probably when we're saying story, what we mean is like a scene, usually, probably in flash fiction, more of a scene than a complete life story. Yeah. Um, I know in, oh, I can't remember the author's name, but there's an author who writes uh, short stories, so longer than this, um, who says that you need to like hone in on a shattering moment. Like mm. it's kind of like take that one compelling moment and expand on that kind of thing. But nevertheless, still have a character who has a goal who, you know, by the end either achieves it or doesn't and undergoes some sort of change as a result. But those goals are obviously going to be smaller than an entire quest to kill a dragon, for example. It's going to be the battle with the dragon instead of the whole quest to get there kind of thing. But the setup is important. The voice is important. There are so many elements of of that that need to come together to actually make a compelling story. And like the scope of it, as you say, I think there was quite a range among good stories. Like some of them took place in a very short span of time, probably a couple of minutes, and mm. others were longer. I mean, yeah, there once were there were longer ones. And look, one of um, I'd like to call out um, Doug versus the Immortal Snail again, <laughs> because that <laughs> that took place over a long time. That took scale, place yeah. over infinity, I believe. Yes, yeah. um, was the the timeline of that piece, and yet. I believe, executed that well. So, look, it's not to say you can't do it. It's just about being really mindful of all of that. And potentially, if you're zooming out too far, you're going to lose connection. Some of the – I found a few interesting emerging preferences of my own. Um, So, one thing, and I probably could have predicted this beforehand, and maybe I did, I can't remember, but I really – tended to prefer stories set in the present day. Yeah, and that was something that I learned about myself as well because I wouldn't have thought necessarily going into that that those would be the most compelling, but they were for me as well. Well, and I probably knew this about myself already, but I like the stories that focused on relationships, human relationships. Yeah. It didn't have to be a romantic relationship yep. by any means, but just those interactions between people. And I think I knew that about myself because, like, 
I'll watch Walking Dead, right, up to a point. Mm. But I'm interested in the survivors of Walking Dead. I don't give a shit about the zombies. You yeah. know what I mean? Like yep. to me it's the the relationships and the war the warring factions of the yeah. survivors and the interrelationships of the people within those groups that I have found compelling. So once, you know, it all jumped the shark and it just became about how many zombies could eat how many people in an episode, I just completely disengaged. Mm. All of this is to say that the stories that focused on relationships were compelling to me. I also really liked, you know, when it was just a moment in time. I think it's because I really love those luxurious details that you get when you just really hone in on a moment. And that is something I actively try to include in my own flash fiction stories is just like pick one little relevant detail to expand on. I also really like, and I mean, this is an extension of my love of puns and stuff, but I like really strong metaphors and similes. And that can be hard because they can tend towards the purple prose kind of thing and the darlings that need to be killed and all that sort of stuff. But I do tend to get jealous when someone just has a really kind of Mm. incisive turn of phrase that makes me think about something a different way. And you called out the crossing the line like the Beatles on Abbey Road. Like that gets your attention. You know, it's just a, a strong simile. One thing that I kept coming back to while reading these stories and thinking about a lot is the degree of freedom that writers have in choosing what to talk about. And a story's not necessarily made up of this happened and then this happened and then this happened. I think there are a lot of effective stories and one that I will probably just call out by name uh, truly madly deeply by Kathy Prokovnik. What that story did well was select specific little anecdotes. Um, I can think of one in relation to a dog pooing the carpet, I think it was, or (laughs) or the floor, that just define the character and the setting and everything you need to know about the situation, but is not really part of the story. So, you know, you have that freedom of, of deciding what to put down on the page and I think sometimes taking that extra step to, to think about, well, rather than just tell the story in a straightforward way, think about the things kind of at the borders that really help solidify that character and that setting. And the most effective stories are the ones that come up with really creative and, and memorable anecdotes and phrases. Again, those little moments in time yeah, yeah yep. that you can really connect with. I've said already that I, I guess... I didn't love so much the reflection pieces Mm. and I was thinking about like, why, what's my problem with that? Like, Mm. what is it? And apart from the fact that obviously stories are, there's a reason we tell stories, you know, they're satisfying, but I think a helpful way to think about it, if you're confused about what am I, what are you telling me here? Is this a reflection? Is this a story? What are you telling me to do is think about who you want to hang out with at a party. There's different storytellers at a party, <laughs> right? And um, there's the storytellers who just have you hooked from the word go mm. and there's drama and there's stuff happening and it may it's happening to them all the time, you know, so these crazy things are happening. And, uh, you know, there's usually some satisfying climax to the story. And then you've got the people who just, they just want to talk about work yeah. and they just, you know, and they, they might have some really insightful things to say, but, oh, God, like, yeah. Is it engaging you? Do you feel invested in their work journey or are you just kind of hearing them like let off some steam about work? And both of those things are fine and both of those things might be interesting conversations to a degree, but which one is the compelling story? And I think that's very evident. 
One thing I was surprised by for myself is how much my personal life experience impacted my view, like Mm. how subjective I got at times. And again, I don't think this kept stories in or out. And look, I'm going to call out a couple here that guess who and uh, pursued trivially. And hi to those authors. You've touched on my love of games and trivia. Um, And so as soon as I saw a story about guess who, like I was in, you know what I mean? But I guess I had to sort of stop myself, I felt, with stories like that where I'm like, okay, are you just liking this because you like trivia nights? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> or is it a good story as well? And and same goes for, like, the relationship stories. I've said I like stories about relationships. Like, if it's a relationship I have or have had yeah. or, you know, a situation I found myself in and I could relate closely to it, then it got my attention and made me feel really connected immediately. And I guess that's the luck of the draw. I mean, you have the advantage yeah. in this case of knowing who your judges are if you've been listening to the podcast. And uh, and I have to also shout out the people who actively, I think, it seemed to me, were trying to write stories for us. My uncle being one example who wrote a story that um, was particularly to my taste, but others, there was a few... That had the name Amanda. I don't know if that was coincidence. I felt like they couldn't all be coincidences. Um, I I would like to say there were more Amandas than Ed's in the story. (laughs) But, yeah, you got me. You got me. You got my ego. Um, But then, like I said, you got to deliver once you've done that. But it does help. So we've given lots of general feedback on this episode, uh, but if you wanted more specific feedback, we were having a think about it and we thought it might actually be really helpful to offer that. You know, sometimes you send these stories out into the ether and you don't know really why they were or were not chosen and maybe you want to improve your craft. We thought it might be a nice little add-on for people to offer that feedback. And I think now too, like we've got all this insight into what works and what doesn't and like we can share that with you. You know, I'm excited to do that. So if you think it would be useful to you to receive more specific feedback about your piece, you know, in future competitions, maybe we'll offer it as part of the process. Uh, But for this one, we thought as an optional add-on for a fee of $20, if you wanted to get in touch with us to get specific feedback about your piece and also maybe give you a little bit of insight into why you made the long list or didn't and to improve your craft. If you think that's something you'd be interested in, reach out to us send us an email to contact at notquiterightpodcast.com and uh, we'll give you some more details about how to get that process going. Okay, so now it's the time that you've all been waiting for. It's time for us to read out the official long list. Woohoo! So we're going to go through all 60 names and all 60 titles in no particular order. Doug versus the Immortal Snail by Freya King. Babysitting for Your Older Sister Right After Your Boyfriend Breaks Up With You by Sheila M. Backmire Bridge, Summer 08, M. Arata Bekel. Longing for Home by Joe Skinner. Truly Madly Deeply by Kathy Prokovnik. The Interrogation by Remy Joel. What Franny Did by Isabel Burns. Shallow Breathing by Christina Wilson. Love is Blind by Christy Roth. Perfectly. Well Adequately by Terence Gallagher, Modern Human by Charles Byrne, Southern Baptism by Catherine Healy, Strike Action by Michael Burroughs, Under the Hammer by Bob Topping, Trafficking Wishcraft by M. Lee Gray. They Said That We by Xuan Chan, 
Unfortunately, Fortunately by Sally Simon. A Particular Afternoon by R.C. Barajas. The Robot by Emma Harrowing. Fred and I by Alex Frank. Pitch Imp Perfect by John Ho. The Way of Dinosaurs by M. Allen. The Strathkeller Lights by Susan McLaughlin. Sensory by Drew Reynolds. Hat Factory Blues by Dominic Kenny. A Dandelion Puff by Sarah Chansaka. The Last Bite by Gabby Taylor. Cake Dude by Liv Hibbert. The Coda by Elizabeth Schild. Worth the Soul by Kianella Fawcett. Wild Hunt Homecoming by E.M. Nikolaev. Trickster by Taylor O'Connell. Farewell to Thee, Precious Balls by Galen Gower. Beer Inn by Annie Louisa. Limerence by J.M. Huya. Let's Sing Gazelles at Night by Abhishek Sengupta. Untitled Number Two by Greg Schmidt. Share the Love by Tash Boninge. Fast Times in Fast Cars by Deanna Duxbury. Slowly by Iris Jew. People Rain and Street Jazz by Glenn Holmes. Just Desserts by Chris Cottom. How to Establish Cordial Relations with Your Cephalopod Neighbour by Mayreed Robinson. Punk Rock Mirage by Punk Rock Nanny. The Privilege by Chandler Ahart. 50-50 by Francis Greenleaf. Rest by Tatum. Saturday Umbrella by George Mackenzie. Paradise Lost by Jane Rice. Minnie, the Extremely Strong Runner by K. Ray Comick. Woman, Non-English Speaking Background by Iris Jew. Pursued Trivially by Ruth Lord. Guess Who by Lisa Harper Campbell. Winning Scientifically by Pam Macon. Train Station by Maya Sandvik. The Icon by Matthew Malcolm. Hangman by Edgar Lavoy. I Carried You by Gwendolyn Higgins. Brittany's Bad Day by Greg Eccleston. Always Often, Sometimes Rarely, Never by Olive Alvis. So a huge congratulations to all of our long listees. Yes, well huge done. congratulations. I just wanted to say if you didn't hear your name on that list, huge congratulations anyway. We're very honoured that you took your time to write something creative and put some art out into the world that didn't exist before. And I know some of you would be enraged to know just how close you came to making the long list. In some cases, it was very close calls. In some cases, we did not agree. At the end of the day, you're all winners. We're super stoked to have had the honour to read your stories. We hope you're proud of what you created because you should be. And we hope that you find a home for it, either with yourself, sharing with friends and family, maybe you've got a blog, whatever it is, put your art out into the world where it belongs. And the 60 hours that we allowed is not a lot of time to come Mm. up with a story and write it and polish it. So if you did write something that you enjoyed writing and that you liked, this might not be the end for it. Absolutely. And at the end of the day, you can also just opt to curse us because we probably deserve it. (laughs) Just blame Ed. Yeah. Blame Ed if you didn't make the long list. I was probably barracking for you and he probably said, no, that's what I'm going to (laughs) say. 
And so the next episode that we'll be releasing soon will be to talk about the shortlist and to talk about the winners. Exciting. So if you heard your name on that long list there, then you're a contender. And we'll also be mentioning some honourable mentions as well as talking in detail about the shortlist and the winner. And we actually recorded another episode about a month ago before the competition started, but that will come out at some point fairly soon. So until next time, right on. Right on. Thank you for listening to Not Quite Right. If you'd like to reach us via email or follow us on social media, you can find all the links on our website, notquiterightpodcast.com. That's W-R-I-T-E. And if you enjoyed the show, we'd love it if you could leave us a five-star review on your favourite podcasting app. Something doesn't seem quite right. Welcome to Not Quite Right. My name's Ed. And I'm Amanda. <laughs> You've just landed on me. Uh, keep going, keep going. Oh dear. So Amanda, have you been through any <laughs> Jesus. Do you need do you need a, a, a moment to recover? I need a moment to compose yourself. Uh, uh, it's the Matildas that really got onto my skin. <laughs> Oh my god. Do you need some more wine? <laughs> yes, just settle me down. I do. Okay. Uh, uh.